I was standing next to, to Eric down here as we were singing, and I said, when I'm preaching, I might just have to carry this with me everywhere I go on stage because I was so fired up listening to everybody just sing and express their heart of, of worship to the Lord, and, and so good to be able to worship together as the body of Christ. And uh, we're, we're delighted you're with us, and uh, we want to welcome you if you're, if you're a guest as well and visiting with us. Thank you for being here, and um, we just are delighted to be able to open God's Word together now. So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 15, Mark chapter 15. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 852. If you did not bring a copy of God's Word with you, you can use those Bibles in the pews there, 852, Mark chapter 15. We're continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we look forward to continuing throughout this great book and, and uh, especially looking forward to next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday morning as we look at the resurrection together and Pastor Butch leading us in that and, and uh, looking forward to this coming Friday with our Good Friday service at 6 o'clock and uh, looking at uh, the crucifixion and celebrating communion together, remembering the sacrifice of our Lord. But we find ourselves this morning in Mark chapter 15. And I'd like us to focus in this morning on verses 1 through 20, 1 through 20. So you can follow along at your seats there as I read in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And they answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. This is all a precursor to the actual crucifixion of Jesus, the actual crucifixion and death of Christ that we will again look at this coming Friday on our Good Friday services. And what a reminder for us yet again this morning of the great sacrifice 
that was made on our behalf by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without spot or blemish who would offer himself as an offering for our sins. This morning, I want us to just examine the passage and really kind of look at the passage in different sections and then uh, make a couple observations and draw some conclusions together. First, I want us to look at the accusations and amazement. It's in verses 1 through 5. The accusations and amazement. Verse 1 says, As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. The accusations that they were making were not for the intent of just hurting Jesus or punishing Jesus, but of eliminating Jesus, putting Jesus to death. Matthew 27, 1 and 2. Matthew records for us in this account, When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus. Why? To put him to death. That was their goal. That was the reason they were conspiring and counseling together against Jesus. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. So Matthew makes something very clear. Mark does not specifically mention that they were gathering together before the whole council for the purpose of putting him to death, but that's what Matthew discloses to us, that when they were meeting in this council, when they were gathering together, the reason for their conspiring, the reason for their meeting is they wanted Jesus gone, right? They wanted him eliminated. They wanted him out of here because they were envious, they were jealous, and they no longer wanted to see or hear about Jesus, get rid of them, end it. That's their perspective, that's what they wanted. And it's interesting because as the passage goes on that we've already read, Pilate is going to ask Jesus a couple questions. He's going to ask Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, you have said so. Or you have said so, or you have so said. And he goes on and asks him about the many accusations that were made against him. In Matthew 27, 13 and 14, Matthew again sharing his account of what's going on here. He says, when Pilate said to Jesus, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Pilate's giving Jesus an opportunity to offer for himself a defense. He's giving Jesus an opportunity to defend himself, to respond to all of the accusations that they were making against Jesus. What's interesting is if you read the different gospel accounts, they could not even all come to agreement with their stories about the accusations they were trying to make against Jesus. They were contradicting one another, and they were trying to say that Jesus said or did things that he didn't do, and they were trying to put up all of these accusations against Jesus, but they couldn't agree. They were struggling to agree because so many of the things that they were wanting to accuse Jesus of, and it says that Pilate gives him this opportunity. Do you have no answer? In the passage before us in verse 4, he says, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. Look at verse 5. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was, what's it say? Amazed. He was amazed. In verse 14 of Matthew 27, it says, Jesus gave no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Greatly amazed. You see the The accusations and amazement here. Here is a man that is brought before Pilate with all kinds of accusations against him. And when the governor gives him an opportunity to defend himself, Jesus says nothing. He felt no need to have to defend himself, so much so that Pilate was just greatly amazed at what he was 
listening to, seeing, watching unfold before his very eyes. Can you imagine some of the stories, no doubt, Pilate would have heard when he gave people opportunity to give a defense for the accusations that they were made against them? I'm sure everybody was innocent that came to Pilate when they had an opportunity to give a defense for the things that they were accused of doing. But I feel like it's a very important point for us to consider that Jesus did not feel the need to defend himself against the false accusations and lies because he fully trusted in his heavenly Father. Jesus did not feel the need to defend himself against false accusations and lies because he fully trusted in his heavenly Father. And that response on the part of Jesus left Pilate in absolute amazement. Jesus trusted He trusted in the Father. We looked last week at Jesus and and Jesus' prayer to the Father. And we looked at last week this, this Jesus in Gethsemane where Jesus would be pouring his heart out to the Father. And he would be saying to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was pursuing the will of the Father. And he came to a point of great peace with that and trust in that. And we see it on full display here as Jesus was trusting in the Father. Just one chapter back in Matthew chapter 4, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14. We didn't read this portion of it last week, but in verses 48 to 50, when they were coming out to arrest Jesus, Judas was betraying Jesus, and they were coming out to arrest Jesus. And in Mark 14, 48 to 50, it says, Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled, and they all left him and fled. See, Jesus even recognized in his very arrest, this is what the scriptures proclaimed must happen, this is the will of the Father, and Jesus was at complete peace with the will of the Father for his life. There was absolute trust here. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet Isaiah would speak about the the crucifixion and suffering of Jesus, of the Messiah. And Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This was not by chance or by accident or by coincidence that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, would be delivered over and would be arrested and be standing before Pilate. And when he was given an opportunity to defend himself and answer accusations, he remained silent before his accusers. The prophet Isaiah said that's exactly what would happen. And Jesus did not feel the need in that moment to defend himself because he fully was trusting in his heavenly Father. The Father's plan that Jesus knew was perfect. And he trusted in that. 
He responded to that. He acted on that. There was no sense of turmoil, fear, or anxiety in regards to the Father's will here in the mind of Christ because he had dealt with that in the Garden of Gethsemane earlier, poured his heart out to the Father, and then he was trusting in the Father's will. He was fully confident in the word that he knew from the prophet Isaiah. He was fully confident in the working and will of the Father. And he responded as such, and Pilate was absolutely amazed. I wonder, have you ever heard someone say something or promise something, and when they told you that, you were like, yeah, I don't believe that. Have you ever had someone say, hey, hey, take confidence in what I'm about to tell you, and you're like, no. Every summer, we have something here at the church called Adventure Kids, and now it's called uh, Maranatha Kids Summer Edition, and it's an opportunity like a, like a big VBS, Vacation Bible School, where we invite kids to come in and we teach the word and do fun activities and do different things. But every summer when we have Adventure Kids or Maranatha Kids Summer Edition, we have outdoor activities planned, and there's hundreds of kids here. And so one of the things that we are praying for during that week is good weather. And so I'm going to tell you about my confidence about the weather. If you are a meteorologist or weather person here, close your ears off to what I'm going to say, because I, I don't want you to be offended. But the night before, we're supposed to have Adventure Kids or Maranatha Kids Summer Edition, and I'm looking at the weather forecast and seeing that they're calling for sunshine. I still don't believe we're getting sunshine. Okay? I just don't. <laughs> My wife's going to be angry with me for saying this because she is like a big weather person supporter. Okay? But, but I complain about the weather all the time. Okay, and so it is not even on that morning, the morning of that day that they're saying in the morning on the news, it's going to be sunshine all day, folks. I'm still thinking it's going to rain. Okay, (laughs) thunderstorms all day long. It's not until literally it is time to go outside and participate in the elements that if I look up and see there's sunshine, I'm going to be like, oh, the weather people were right today. Okay, it's it's again. I'm not picking on if you're a weather person. Okay, I'm not. It's not you. It's other people that I'm talking about. But normally when I listen to the prediction of the weather, their guess, okay, that's what I'm calling it, their guess, okay, is that I am not believing it because I don't trust what is being said because I have been uh, uh, let down so many times with what the weather is predicted to be. Can I just challenge us this morning as believers in Christ that some of us trust God like we trust the weather people? Some of us trust God and what God's Word says in action like we trust the meteorologist a week out from our event. It's not there. And when you look at the life of Christ and you look at the way Jesus lived and you look at Jesus in this moment of greatest challenge, he was silent before his accusers. Why? Because he fully was trusting in the will of his Father. He was fully trusting the Father. And can I challenge us this morning? If Jesus trusted all things in the hand of his Father, so should we. So should we. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 13, we looked at this two weeks ago, be on your guard, talking to the disciples, 
For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious before him what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God's desire for you and I as his children is that we, as Jesus did, would be fully trusting all things in the hands of our heavenly father. And he has a fantastic track record, doesn't he? He's given us no reason to doubt him. He's never given us a reason to doubt that he is present with us. He has never given us a reason to doubt that he will be faithful to us. Our God is faithful. Our God is present. Our God can be trusted. Jesus trusted all things in the hands of the Father, so should we. Why is that so hard sometimes? And if we're honest, isn't it because sometimes we think we know better? Sometimes we think we can do better? And sometimes the bottom line is we just don't like what God says. But he does know better. He can do better. What he says matters more. Just matters more. And so we, too, must trust all things in the hands of our Heavenly Father. Let's let's go on and look at the choice of the crowd. Verses 6 through 15. We've already read this, but... In reading this passage, there's a, they're at the, the feast and they're asking for a prisoner to be released to them, as was the custom, it says. So at this feast, there would be a custom where they would release a prisoner over. And they're asking for, again, this same uh, gesture on the part of Pilate that they would release a prisoner uh, to them. Now, what's interesting is in Matthew's account, verses 17 and 21, it says, When they gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Uh, in, in Mark's account, verse 9, it says, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? But I want you to notice something. Pilate would specifically ask them, Do you want me to release for you? Matthew accounts is for us. Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ, the governor again said, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Here's what's absolutely incredible to me is is Pilate is already amazed, right? He's already amazed at what Jesus is, is doing and not saying in the face of these accusations. He no doubt had heard of Jesus. There's no way he had not heard of this miracle worker. There's no way that they had not heard of of this Jesus because it says in the passage that Pilate knew the reason they delivered Jesus was because of envy. They were envious of Jesus. And so if I'm Pilate and I'm thinking they want someone to be released and I'm really not wanting to crucify Jesus, and you're going to see again Pilate's attitude about the crucifixion. He's like, why? When they're calling him out to be crucified, he says, why? He's done nothing wrong. And so if I'm Pilate and I think, okay, this is a no-brainer. They want a prisoner released. I'm either going to pick the career criminal, murderer, insurrectionist that that is here and is worthy of death, or I'm going to give them the option of their king, the king of the Jews, the miracle worker, the one who's healed, maybe some of the people's family that's even out in the audience right now. I'm going to give them the choice of Barabbas or Jesus. No way they're picking Jesus to be crucified here. This is what Pilate does. 
He says, who do you want me to release to you? Which of the two? Matthew says in Matthew 27, 21, that Pilate is going to give them two options. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Barabbas. And what should I do with this Jesus, the one who you call the king of the Jews? Verse 13, Mark 15, they cried out again, crucify him. Crucify him. Now, what's interesting is you look at verse 11 of chapter 15 of Mark. Look at what it says. It says, the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Evil, wicked, sinful men working the fickle crowd, convincing them to have Barabbas released rather than Jesus. The crowd, the world, the culture, it is fickle, it is easily influenced. So easily influenced. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 7 to 11, we have the triumphal entry of Jesus. This morning is celebrated as Palm Sunday. It's that celebration of the triumphal entry when Jesus would enter into Jerusalem as prophesied by the prophet in the Old Testament. But in Matthew 21, I want you to listen to what the crowd was doing in Matthew 21, just not even a week prior to what we're seeing the crowd calling out for right now in Mark chapter 15. Matthew 21, 7, 11, it says, they brought the donkey and the colt and put Jesus on, or put their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The crowd not even a week prior, is hailing him, hailing him as king, putting down palm branches as he enters in on this colt, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, save us. Praises to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And not even one week later, crucify him crucify him. I want to make a point that I think is important for us to understand. Those who love evil are easily influenced by evil men to choose and do evil things. Those who love evil are easily influenced by evil men to choose and do evil things. As a believer in Christ, we should not be surprised at the culture and day and age in which we live and the choices that those who do not know Christ are making. We should not be surprised at how fickle the crowd is, how easily influenced and moved the culture is. If you're here today and you have children, I'm sure that you have tried to tell your children as parents, don't follow the crowd. If you're a student here today, if you fall into the category as a student, as a child to your parents, can I encourage you as a young person today, the crowd is fickle and easily influenced to do evil things. 
don't allow the measure of what you will do to be determined on what everybody else is doing. Evil men who love evil are easily influenced to choose to do evil things. And I think you see that on full display here with the crowd as the Pharisees and others stirred them up to choose Barabbas over Jesus. Contrast this with the expectations that God has for his children. Those who love God should be ready to choose and do the things that honor God, however hard they might be. Those who love God should be ready to choose and do the things that honor God, however hard they might be. I want to give you a challenge this week. I'd love for you to look at the values, the values in those things that our culture as a whole champions today. Make a list of those things and see how those things measure against God's authoritative word. As you go to the voting booth, would you look at the candidate you're going to vote with of what they champion and value and choose to cast their vote for in their positions of political influence? Make a list. And look at those things in light of what God says in his word. As you raise your children, parents, and give permission for them to participate or do the things that they're participating in and doing, would you make a list of what they're championing and promoting and measure that against what God's word says? If you're a student, a daughter or son in the room today, make a list of what your friends and the crowd are championing and promoting and measure it against what God's word says. Because as a child of God, those who love God should be ready to choose and do the things that honor God, however hard they might be. And we again see this on full display here. The choice of the crowd, Barabbas. The influence of the Pharisees, instant. Because evil men will choose to do evil things. Let's look at the third thing here, the mockery and unbelief. Verses 16 to 20, the mockery and unbelief. I want to read this again. The soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Now, don't miss verse 15, because right before we read about all that the soldiers were doing to Jesus, verse 15 says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified, having scourged Jesus. So directly before they would take him, the soldiers would take Jesus and do these things that we read about in verses 16 to 20. We're told that they would first scourge Jesus. To scourge someone was a Roman judicial penalty consisting of a severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. This type of beating was known to rip flesh down to the bone and cause extreme bleeding. Some would die during this process and not make it to crucifixion. So they first would scourge Jesus, taking a whip that would have multiple ends with pieces of bone and metal on the end. And as it was uh, whipped on him and dug into his flesh, it was designed to rip his flesh. 
as it was pulled off of him. It's kind of just a light little matter in verse 15. And they scourged him and delivered him to be crucified. So as Jesus then in verse 16 is led away by the soldiers, and it it speaks about the whole battalion, the whole battalion of soldiers would be 600 men. 600 men. Just look around this room for a minute. We don't have 600 people in this room right now. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who everything he did was good. He helped people. He healed people. He cared for people. After being beaten and whipped, by that point in time, being just a bloody mess, has around 600 soldiers, Roman soldiers, men, more than the amount of people in this room right now, surround him and take him in to do what follows in verses 16 to 20. Just let that settle for a moment. The response of the soldiers to Jesus' claim to be king, they made a spectacle of him, They put a crown of thorns on his head. They again made false accusations and mocked him, disrespected him. They put a purple robe on him. They were striking him and spitting on him. All of this, this angry mob of Roman soldiers surrounding Jesus after already having endured what he endured. You see, in action, the soldiers and the crowds demonstrated that they believed Jesus to be a fraud. In their actions, in their words, the crowds, the soldiers, the Pharisees, all of them demonstrated that they believed Jesus to be a fraud. There was no demonstration of belief. There was no honor. There was no care. There was no worry on their part that this man could do anything that he said he could do. There was complete abandonment of any belief on their part. Which, oh, by the way, we read earlier that when Jesus was delivered over, even those that were closest to him believed in him, followed him, left him, and were scattered. Peter would, just prior to this, deny him three times, following at a distance. The soldiers demonstrated zero belief that Jesus could do anything. And this is how they responded. This is what the prophet Isaiah was speaking of when he said he would be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that his appearance would be marred more than any man as a sacrifice for our sins. Zero belief. And their actions demonstrated that. You know, we demonstrate in our actions so often, don't we, whether we believe someone to be capable of doing something or not. Um, we de- demonstrate it on a daily basis when people say things, when they ask things, when they tell us things. We demonstrate in belief, uh, our belief by our actions. Uh, we, we play basketball together as a staff sometimes here at the church, and we have one staff member that I won't tell you who because I don't want to embarrass him, Eric Gill, okay? And, and so when we play, when we play basketball... 
I always joke with Eric that I've never seen Eric make a three-point shot during a game. I have, but I tell him I haven't just to get under his skin. And so I always tell him, I'm like, I've never seen you in a game. So he'll always, like when we're warming up, take it, and he'll be like, Bruce, and he'll shoot a three, and he'll make it. I'll be like, it's not in a game. It doesn't count. And so I always mess with him. So whenever we're playing in a game and Eric has the ball, if I happen to be guarding him and he's at three, I literally look at him and be like, I'll let you shoot that. And I just walk away from him. Because I have zero, I'm demonstrating in my actions, zero belief that he can do what he actually said he, he, he can do, right? And so no matter where I'm at, if I'm sitting out the game and someone else is on it and Eric comes up to the point line, I'm like, shoot it, shoot it. And I'm like, that's disrespect, they're not respecting you. Because they will just lay, leave them alone to shoot that three-point shot. Because people that are defending demonstrate in action, they have zero belief that he's able to do what he says he's able to do. And they just let him have at it until he proves them wrong. Now, I share that because I, I, I want us to understand something. Think of all the claims that Jesus made concerning himself. All the teaching that Jesus provided. All the statements that Jesus made. And in action, every single one of the crowd that called for his crucifixion, the soldiers that are mocking him, beating him, putting a crown of thorns on his head, in essence, what they're saying is they're saying to Jesus, absolutely not, you can't do any of that. There is zero belief. There's zero belief. Now listen, I hope you come back next week because Jesus is going to prove them dead wrong (laughs) with what he's about to demonstrate. And we know that to be true. And I I don't have to wait to Easter to tell you today that Jesus Christ is alive. And he would demonstrate exactly who he said he was with victory in great power and authority. But those that watched and were around Jesus at that moment did not believe anything that he would say. Can I just challenge you and I as believers this morning? Our words and actions should consistently demonstrate that we believe Jesus Christ to be exactly who he said he is, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so let me ask this morning, Who do you say Jesus is by your actions? Who do we say Jesus is by our words and our actions? Who will you say Jesus is this week by your words and your actions? The Son of God? The Lord and Savior of your life? Or just a nobody? a fraud, a liar. I wonder this morning, are we trusting the one who holds us in the palm of his hand? Are we choosing and doing the things that honor God, however hard they might be? And are our words and actions demonstrating firm and unwavering belief in Jesus as Lord and King? Whether we demonstrate it in action or not, he is Lord and King. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that is the truth. Until that day comes, might we be pointing others to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, as we anticipate Good Friday, that day that we celebrate the death of Christ because of what it accomplished. As we anticipate 
next Sunday in celebration of the resurrection. God, we just are absolutely humbled and amazed at the sacrifice of Jesus, the trust, the obedience to the will of the Father, the love that was demonstrated to us in Christ. And we have no other words but to say thank you. God, I pray that we would demonstrate in our words and actions this week that we believe Jesus Christ to be King of kings and Lord of lords and that we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes it. Might that flow from our mouths this week for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.